What's up, Mets fans? I'm Matt Cerrone from MetsBlog.com and SNY.TV, and this is what is ordinarily called the MetsBlog Q&A cast, but thinking about changing it, um, you know, it's not that I don't like the interviews. I do. I want to still do them, but I don't want to do them all the time because there's times where I just don't, you know, like right now, they're 10-1. I don't really have a ton of questions, so like to do an interview just feels like a waste of time, so um, I'm trying to play with some formats and, and different types of shows to kind of mix in and out here. Maybe I'll do a couple a week or, you know, in this particular case, I just kind of want to riff on the state of the Mets a little bit and talk about some subjects and things that I've written about this week and kind of update them a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about where things stand. State of the Mets actually is probably a pretty good name for the podcast and something I should talk to the producers about. But at any rate, uh, I won't uh, keep talking. I will just dive right in uh, with the first topic about this awesome 10-1 Mets team. So I don't know what the Mets should do here at catcher, and I'm not even really sure they know what they want to do. I guess it comes down to whether or not Travis Darno can play through the pain in his elbow because he's got this UCL tear that probably requires Tommy John surgery. And for a position player, you know, he's not going to be out 18 months like a pitcher, but he's a catcher and he's had a lot of injuries in the past. Um... You know, and he'll miss some significant time. It's, it's, he's not going to be the starting catcher for the majority of the season, that's for sure. So if, if he can hold out just long enough for Ploiecki to come back, if they can, you know, give him some kind of pain medication or do something just so that Darno can at least run out there and play through the pain for a couple weeks while Ploiecki gets his hand uh, back in order and can get back on the field, then the Mets don't really have to do anything that said, if you know if if Darno needs the surgery immediately and he just can't you know get out there, and that's understandable. If that's the case, with Polwecki gone for two to three weeks with a, a they're saying a broken bone in his hand. I my understanding is it's just a contusion, but I mean either way, you know how injuries go, and they say two to three weeks, but it could be six to eight weeks by the time he comes back. So. If that's going to be the situation potentially, and at the same time, Darno is is pretty much out of the mix for the bulk of this season, then they got to do something. JT Realmuto is a great idea, and like that's awesome, but he's on the DL as we speak, and the Marlins want a ton for him. They wanted a ton for him in uh, the off season, and right now you've got the Mets playing well in their division um, and desperate. So the price is only going to be more than it was back then. So I, I can't see that being an option. You know, I feel like the, the best scenario, even though it's not that exciting, is probably Miguel Montero because he was uh, DFA'd by the Nationals this week and, you know, they can trade him. But, you know, if they don't, he can always reject the assignment to the minor leagues and sign a free agent deal with the Mets, which... You know, if the Nationals get wind of that being a possibility, maybe the Nationals do trade him to the Mets, even though they're rivals. Because, uh, you know, you might as well get something for him if he's going to sign there anyway. So I think he probably is the easiest acquisition with the most experience. Um, you know, short of that, like Jonathan Lucroy would be awesome. But again, it's Billy Bean and the A's. Lucroy's only been there for a month. I mean, he literally signed his one-year, $6.5 million contract 30 days ago. So... You know, I'm sure the A's, who think they're going to be pretty good this year and feel like they can contend, they probably feel like, well, if we're going to make a deal for Lucroy again with a team in April that's desperate for a catcher, 
you know they're going to want a lot. It, it's not going to be cheap, even though it seems like he should be. The A's aren't stupid, and Billy Bean certainly isn't stupid, and you know they're not just going to give him away to the Mets. Um, so again, I come back to Montero. You know, internally it's Tomas Nito, who's a really good catching prospect and probably you know has a role on this team in the future. But it's just a little early, I think, to turn over the pitching staff, which is so important to the success of this team right now, uh, to a rookie. And, you know, to go to Ho- go to Jose Lobaton, who's in AAA, I mean, that's fine, too. He's a 33-year-old journeyman. I mean, you know, again, not really an answer. Like, given how important the pitching staff is, you've got a former pitching coach as your manager you've got Dave Island as his ma- his pitching coach i mean pitching is huge we know that it's the bedrock of this team i don't want to just throw some rookie catcher back there or a journeyman like i want somebody back there that they can trust and work with and i just feel like if Polecki and Darno are going to be gone for at least a month or two possibly two months combined they got to make a deal for somebody. Got to bring somebody else in here that's got some kind of reputation and, and credibility. How much better is Montero than Lobaton? I don't know, but you know Montero's been around a little bit more. I think he's just got a little bit more experience. He knows New York a little bit. I, I just or, or both of them, frankly, maybe Montero and Lobaton on the big league roster, and you just kind of go with that. It's not what you hope for. It's not why you signed Lobaton. I don't think they thought they'd ever be in a situation where uh, he was going to have to be considered as a possible starting catcher but uh i think at that been the situation they did just sign lucroy uh back then but you know it is what it is right and so here they are and again i think it comes down to darno and what he's capable of doing with his body here over the next few weeks and i think the decision they make will indicate uh where that is going or vice versa The Mets can say what they want, that it's not a big deal, that Wheeler, Darno, DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Harvey all pitched on sequential days and made, uh, for the first time ever, five consecutive starts. Uh, they can blow that off and make it sound like, you know, ah, it's, it's great, it's a good story, but it's really more, you know, something that the fans and the media get worked up about. They could say that all day, but it matters, and I know they know it matters, and here's why it matters. It's not so much because you finally got these five guys in the rotation and how awesome that is, because that is pretty cool, uh, given all that they invested to make that happen. Why it matters is that for the first time in a long time, the rotation is healthy and in order. And they've got depth. And you've got Jason Vargas, who's not even off the DL yet. And you've got Lugo and Gazelman in the bullpen capable of stepping in. And you've got this sort of very smooth, very in-order consistent, healthy rotation, which is, like I said earlier, the bedrock of the roster. And so when that happens, and you can maybe not worry about what is supposed to be the most important part of the team, you can exhale a little bit, whether you're the GM or you're the 25th guy in the roster or you're the manager or whoever else, you can exhale a little bit and focus on other things and improve in other areas and maybe not exhaust yourself and stress yourself and freak out and be searching for replacements and roster moves and who's going to make this start we got to fly this guy from vegas on two hours sleep like last year it happened so many times like the solidity if that's a word 
um, and, and structure and order and smoothness and all that of the way the rotation is operating, um, including pitching well, makes all the difference in the world. And you saw that in comparison to last season when things were all over the road. That's why you get 92 losses. It happens to be that they're pitching really well, and that's great. But I think it also matters that they're pitching, that they're on the field and they're pitching. That is so key. And I think to me, these five guys taking the field together says to me that things are in order. And that has been something that has been lacking the last few years, even the season when they went to the World Series. Um, There was a lot of scrambling that summer, if you remember, uh, when John Mabry and Eric Campbell were the heart of the order, uh, despite the hot start they had. Like, there was a lot of scrambling. And I think there's going to be less this year um, as long as the rotation is in order. It gives them options to make moves. It gives them options to do nothing if they don't want to. It's just a better situation. I'm just, to me, that's why it matters. So I don't necessarily think they're popping champagne and like high fiving in private just because these five guys pitch back to back to back to back to back. But you know, I do think they understand the importance of this and the significance of it, not just from, you know, what it means to the farm system and the development of their talent, but I think also what it means to the structure and the consistency and the order of the roster. And the more that's in place, I think the more they'll win. I love the salt and pepper shaker thing. I do. I think it's funny and I know there's people that roll their eyes at it or think it's stupid or foolish or what's the point, but anything that can rally the team and make them kind of have fun and smile and keep things easy going and free and easy and just kind of having fun, I'm all for it. I mean, who cares what it is? I mean, it does kind of look a little uh, you know, questionable when they're doing it on the field. I think I can see where some people might wonder, what, what are they doing? Um, but once you realize that it's the salt and pepper seasoning, spicy kind of thing that they're kind of playing, having fun with, that's cool. Um, you know, and I, I also love the fact that it's a, a Todd Frazier thing that he's really embraced it with the t-shirts and, you know, it's, it speaks to, I think what a lot of us, myself, I include myself in this, you know, we're pushing for early in the off season, which was, you know, when I got sidetracked by it, I, I, I won't lie, um, thinking that maybe offense was more important or a more solid player at third base. But, you know, initially I was arguing for, and a lot of people continue to argue that, they really needed a guy like Frazier, you know, in that locker room, someone who's been around the block. He's a veteran, but he's also very affable and, you know, lighthearted and easygoing, kind of upbeat. He's a very casual, laid-back dude, and, you know, he understands the pressures of the market. He played on the Yankees last year, was in the postseason. Like, he's just really the sweet spot of what they needed when it came to veteran leadership, which is something that this particular roster definitely was in need of. And you saw that by them going and getting Adrian Gonzalez and, you know, bringing back Jay Bruce and some of these guys. So I just think Frazier's really been a nice fit for the reasons, the exact reasons that I think a lot of people thought he would be. Brian Price, his former manager, you know, described him uh, this exact way in an article with Joel Sherman earlier in the winter. And I think that swayed me a lot. Um, You know, and then the more you talk to places he's played you know whether it was the White Sox or people with the Yankees last year with the Reds and Bruce who played with him you know Jay Bruce is a good example because like he and Frazier weren't best friends like they were friends they were teammates but it's not like they were you know in each other's weddings and you know uh, the the you know the, the the model duo in Cincinnati and yet 
you know, he raved about him. I mean, he couldn't say enough good things about Bruce prior to them, uh, or, or about Frazier prior to the Mets acquiring him. So, I mean, I think it's all the more reason why bringing Frazier in and you're seeing the benefits to that uh, in what he does. You know, he, he's going to hit, he's going to do what he's going to do. He's actually looked a lot better at third base than I ever thought he was going to also, by the way. Um, but just that ability to sort of keep everybody kind of relaxed and, and even keel, but also do it, you know, with, with, with a smile, I think is important. And you're seeing the benefits of that. And, and again, the salt and pepper shaker thing, like whatever <laughs> it's, if, if you're, if you're hating on that and you're getting all worked up about it, you're, you're, you got to take a deep breath and just enjoy the start to the season. 10 and one, 10 and one. It's, it's really hard to believe it is. And you know, I think the best part about this, and I've written this a few times this week on Mets blog, is that it gives this team a cushion to make mistakes and slip up a little bit. They're going to have a losing streak. Somebody's going to get injured. Heck, they're dealing with it right now with the two catchers. So things are going to happen. But what 10-1 and one does is it allows them, as you saw, as you, if you remember in 2015, it allows them to play mediocre baseball for June and July like they did in 15 and still make a move and still get hot and still be able to get to the postseason because, you know, they started off so well, it allowed them to sort of have that hiccup midseason. I mean, hopefully there's no hiccup and they win 100 games and it's a smooth ride, but odds of that happening are very, very little. And so when they do hit that bump in the road, this cushion that they're creating right now in April is going to let them sort of get through that and not hit the panic button, which is going to be so important considering the fact that there's so much pressure on this team, plus they have a, a new manager. You know, the last thing Mickey Calloway needed was to be, you know, under 500 in May and having people question whether or not he should have gotten the job and having to deal with those questions. And then it undermines his authority and the players start to, you know, disband and all that. So again, 10 and 1 makes it almost impossible for these guys to be in a position in May that's devastating. Um, you know, especially over these next six games, if they can, if they can go four and two here against these six games at home against the Brewers and the Nationals, and they could be 14 and three when they go on that long stretch, uh, you know, they play some pretty interesting road games and then they have to fly from St. Louis to San Diego back to New York. That's not going to be fun (laughs) to start off May. If they can, you know, be, like I said, 14 and three, when they get on that plane to St. Louis, that is huge. That's, you know, nine games over 500 as they're getting ready to make that maneuver. It, it, you know, if they go 500 on that road trip or even a little bit under, they'll still be, you know, seven, eight games over 500 when they come back. So it's just these six games to me are so important given the start. I know you don't want to be greedy, but I'm being greedy because the, the more this cushion is, the more they can withstand later in the summer. And look, you're a Mets fan. I'm a Mets fan. Let's be honest. You know some kind of dramatic silliness. Something's going to happen in June or in July. It's just the way it is. It's baseball, but it's also the Mets, let's be honest. So, you know, the, the more they can win here and the more padding and the more cushion they can add, uh, the better it's going to make dealing with that chaos, uh, that inevitable chaos down the road. Like I said, hopefully it doesn't come, but if it does... We're going to look back on this April and say, whew, whew, thank goodness. All right, that'll do it. That is the state of the Mets as, uh, as as things stand here on Friday. Oh, geez, Friday the 13th. Maybe I should have debuted a new type of uh, podcast ranting and being all excited about 10 and 1 on Friday the 13th. But whatever, it is what it is. Uh, that's where we are. 
Um, you know, I love where these guys are at. It's been a fun team to watch. You know, like I said earlier, they're easygoing and just sort of relaxed, and they're playing a relaxed style. You know, and whether that's because they're ten and one or they're ten and one because of it, either way, it doesn't matter to me. The fact that they are doing what they're doing and they're having a good time and fans are having fun, like that's all that matters. That's why we we do this. That's why we root. That's why I write. That's why you know we pay attention. So uh, the the longer it goes on and the more fun it is, the better for everybody. So. I'm, I'm pretty ecstatic uh, with where things stand. Again, you can check out, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can find it at sny.tv slash podcasts. And, you know, send me some feedback on what you think of this type of episode. If you think this makes sense, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Matthew Cerrone. You could uh, send me an email if you got it. Um, you know, whatever you got to do, just let me know. I, I love the feedback and I think it's helpful. Uh, you know, and if you have good things to say, by all means, leave uh, feedback and commentary on the uh, Mets Blog podcast page on iTunes would be great also. Um, you know, they also be aware that SNY.TV launched a new Mets podcast with Doug Williams and Andy Martino that's a lot of fun called Shea Anything. It's pretty interesting uh, listening to them kind of, you know, play the role of fan and reporter and bounce back and forth. And it's a fun conversation. I'm really enjoying it. So you should check that out. Also, by the way, the Jets one that they do, uh, the Jets stream is awesome. I love what, what's going on there. I'm a, I'm a big Jets fan. I don't talk about that much, but, um, you know, it's been helpful for me just to kind of listen to uh, Jonas Schwartz and Willie Cologne uh, talk about uh, where things stand with the Jets and what they should do at, at quarterback. I, I don't know what I want to do in that in that regard, so I'm pretty uh, influenced when I listen to things like that. So, um, again, any feedback, send it to me. Talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening, and as always, you got to believe, and let's go Mets.